from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Welcome to Forum. In a long-awaited decision, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden has selected California Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. Harris will be the first woman of color to appear on a major party's presidential ticket. A Bay Area native, Harris drew on her childhood experience of being bussed across Berkeley for school as part of a pointed attack against then-rival Joe Biden during her presidential bid last year. Forum will talk about what her record as a senator, prosecutor, and as California's attorney general will bring to the Democratic ticket, the politics of the pick, and what it could mean for California. Join us after this news. Welcome to this morning's forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's selection of Kamala Harris as his running mate in the 2020 presidential election both roused cheers and stoked longstanding critiques, including of Harris's record as district attorney in San Francisco. Harris brings many firsts to a major party ticket, first black woman, first Indian American, first Asian, first graduate of a historically black university, and the list goes on. We dive into what the pick means and how the Biden-Harris team plans to challenge President Donald Trump and join Joining us first is KQED's political breakdown team, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Michael. Good morning to you and good morning to Marisa Lagos, who also joins us, uh, politics correspondent with KQED and host of KQED's Political Breakdown show. Good morning, Marisa. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you both. And uh, Scott, I'm going to begin with you. Uh, This is uh, the word we're hearing most often, a historic choice race, gender, daughter of two immigrants. The real sense usually about vice presidential picks, though, is historic or not, uh, doesn't necessarily add much in the final analysis. Uh, But here, do we have something different? Particularly, do we have something different in light of the possibility that Kamala Harris can help generate and mobilize not only the black vote or the Indian vote, for that matter, but also the women voters? Well, certainly this was not uh, a case of uh, being chosen for, you know, geographic balance or anything like that. This was about demographics, the fact that she is a woman of uh, both uh, Asian and black uh, race, uh, a first in all those counts. Uh, It's also the first time a California Democrat has been uh, on the top of a major party presidential ticket. So that's exciting for Californians. But, you know, I think in, in one way, if you step back, Joe Biden needed a pick that wasn't going to change the narrative or the arc of this race. Right now, uh, in almost every national poll for months, he's been ahead comfortably, um, well within the well outside the margin of error. He's leading in the battleground state. So he didn't need a sort of Sarah Palin type Hail Mary pick. He needed a, a choice that wasn't going to cause a problem that would do no harm to the ticket. But she does add, certainly, uh, excitement. Uh, there's been calls for months now uh, to add a woman of color, a black woman in particular, uh, to the ticket, especially since the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, issues have been raised around the killing of George Floyd. So she adds that. You know, she's been vetted, uh, so there's not going to be a lot of surprises probably about her popping up uh, that probably would have come up while, when she ran for president. And yes, uh, people like Amy uh, Allison from She the People, um, 
will say that uh, women of color in particular are very excited about this pick. They have been the backbone of the Democratic Party. Certainly African-Americans rescued Joe Biden's campaign in South Carolina. But women in particular, we saw that with Stacey Abrams in Georgia, uh, where she almost became uh, governor of that state. A lot of people felt she uh, that was sort of taken away from her with voter suppression and other things. And so the hope for among Democrats is that this choice will energize voters, especially younger voters, women of color, people of color more generally. Um, but, you know, there are also some uh, critics on the left, especially younger voters, who aren't that thrilled with this choice. They feel that Kamala Harris is a little bit too conservative, too pragmatic, too moderate. We've heard criticisms, for example, from some of Bernie Sanders' delegates in California saying they wanted somebody more progressive on the ticket. But overall, I think certainly this first uh, 24 hours since this uh, choice was announced. Uh, it's been uh, pretty smooth sailing. Most of the reviews have been positive. You know, there is criticism of her as a San Francisco liberal, uh, and we can talk more about that. I'm not sure that charge really sticks, given that she's also getting criticized from the left for not being progressive enough. Well, we'll be talking, you mentioned Amy Allison, with her and with others in the course of this hour from different points of view, including somebody from the Sanders campaign. But I'm interested, Marisa, in your thoughts on this, uh, particularly when you think about the fact that uh, women voters did not necessarily turn out for her, or for that matter, voters of colors during the primary, uh, and one wonders to what extent she can mobilize them. But also, let's talk about the fact that, uh, uh, with you, about how this decision was made. Um, there were those who, Jill Biden, for example, uh, Jill Biden, uh, Joe Biden's wife, Dr. Biden, was uh, mentioning uh, kind of the ambush that went on during the primary, and uh, she seemed to have some so we say strong feelings about it. But Biden has made a choice here, which makes it seem as if he's moving toward some kind of empathy or consensus building, um, despite the fact that uh, she went after him in the primaries and said, well, that's just politics. But she also seemed to galvanize a lot of women around the idea that she was too ambitious. A lot of women really took umbrage at that, that uh, a woman should be characterized as too ambitious when men clearly have not been characterized that way. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the, you know, battle between the progressive wing and the more moderate wing, uh, her attacking Biden, look, all's fair and love and war in politics, right? I mean, this was a primary. Everybody does this in both parties. Uh, I think you saw, you've seen this in Republican primaries as well. Folks retreat to their corner. They lash out. I mean, I think the difference between the kind of behind the scenes comments we've seen over the last week, the, the clear uh, attempt, I think, by folks who maybe were supporting someone else for VP to try to push the media narrative um, really dissipated largely. I mean, I think there are certainly people on the very far left of the progressive wing who are un unhappy with this choice. Um, but the truth is, I think a lot of people, including, as you noted, Senator Sanders, are coalescing behind this ticket. Um, this is the most progressive platform we've ever seen a Democratic uh, ticket run on. And I do think that Harris, for some of her challenges in what was, let's be clear, a very crowded primary where there was a lot of choices for people of color and women in terms of picking the candidate they thought was going to be best, um, I, I, it seems to me that the majority of Democrats are, are ready to move on and are really excited about how historic this is and what she will bring to the ticket. I mean, Kamala Harris is in a lot of ways a safe choice, even though she is breaking barriers. Um, yet at the same time, you know, she's from San Francisco. She has come up in Congress in the last few years by really speaking out and being one of the more progressive voices and, and loud voices when it comes to attacking Trump and his administration. Um, and so I think that, you know, the primary 
as you know, Michael, feels like it was a, a lifetime ago. And I and I think a lot of Democrats are ready to move on and, and to do uh, what they think needs to be done to, to defeat Trump. Well, it was clear that uh, Biden wanted this choice uh, for a number of reasons. And let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, he felt he wanted someone simpatico. And apparently, in terms of politically where she's positioned herself, that makes sense. But also, she was close friends with apparently Bo, his late son, who was also an attorney general in the state of Delaware. There were many reasons that uh, can be certainly ascribed to the choice that was made. And I'm wondering, let me go back for a moment to San, since you mentioned San Francisco here, Scott and I have long memories of uh, not only interviewing Kamala Harris, but also, I mean, I can remember uh, being the inter interlocutor in the debates with uh, Terry Hallinan for the job of district attorney in San Francisco. She comes across as someone who is not only fierce uh, and, and uh, extraordinarily energetic, but I think warmth is a big part of her personality and, and humor is a big part of her personality. That seems to play well in the, well, in ways that Hillary Clinton just didn't seem to come across. So the personality figures in here too, doesn't it, Marisa? Yeah, I mean, it always does in politics, right? And I and I think that when you think about back to that first race and her kind of running to the center of Hallinan, who was, you know, a progressive in San Francisco, which of course means like a super lefty anywhere else. Um, she has always, I think, tried to kind of uh, to, to, to balance between what she sees she's expected of as a woman of color and someone who did come from a progressive background and also, you know, as a law enforcement professional. And I actually think from a personality perspective, perspective. I mean, we've seen a lot more of it in the last couple of years than we did ever when she was a prosecutor, both as attorney general and DA. I think that was, quite frankly, because she needed to be very careful. Um, if you recall back that 2010 race against Steve Cooley, then the district attorney of Los Angeles, um, it took, you know, I think over a month for that race to be called. It was so close. And it was a really interesting that like that when I think back to that that moment, you know, Cooley was older white man, very uh, Republican, but also open to some reforms around three strikes and other things. Um, and they really battled it out. And she spent a lot of time after she was elected trying to kind of make amends with law enforcement around the state. And so I think I think. Senator Harris has always sort of relied on both um, the fact that she is a, a really likable person and, and I think really good uh, at retail politics, but also at the kind of behind the scenes relationship building with other people within politics. Um, and she's always had to sort of straddle this interesting line uh, in terms of her background. Talking about Joe Biden's choice of California Senator Kamala Harris with KQED's political breakdown team, Scott Schaefer and Marisa Lagos, and we'll talk with them also about policy and how that all figures in here. But you may have questions, and indeed, you may have some thoughts and responses to this selection. And if you do, we want to hear from you. You can join us now at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. We welcome your calls, so please feel free to be part of the program. The number, again, for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And let me bring Congresswoman Barbara Lee into this uh, Barbara Lee, of course, is Congresswoman in the East Bay and is, I think it's safe to say, Congresswoman, close friend and ally and supporter of Kamala Harris. Yes. Uh, can you hear me? Can hear you fine. Okay. Yes, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm happy not only for Senator Harris, uh, for California, for her family, but for the country. 
Uh, and I've, I've known Senator Harris for many years. Uh, I've worked with her. I've been through a lot, through thick and thin, through many of her elections. And uh, I know for a fact that she is uh, well prepared to serve as vice president. I actually endorsed her early when she ran for president. I was actually the first member of Congress to endorse her. And I, I have to just tell you, I have traveled uh, throughout the country uh, on her behalf as a surrogate and oftentimes with her. And I saw the crowds. I saw the young people, I saw women, all women coming out, women of color, white women, African-American women, API women, uh, Latinx. I saw people throughout the country coming out really uh, supportive of her candidacy and, and her agenda and how she uh, really helped to speak to a variety of constituencies because she has a very uh, diverse uh, background and really understands the intersectional nature of how we have to work as uh, elected officials and campaign uh, for this office. So I'm very excited, and I think this uh, uh, Mr. Biden really understands the uh, world in which we live. Well, not only are you obviously excited and supported, but you feel pretty confident that she can do the job if indeed uh, it means uh, moving into the presidency, because that's what vice presidents are supposed to do if presidents either move away or give up the job or whatever may happen. And Joe Biden is at the age now where he even says he's probably transitional. Well, look, I think we have to first win the election. And I think Kamala brings such a, a huge, uh, you know, plus added value. Uh, and in many ways, she's going to help galvanize those who were uh, may or may not have, have wanted to uh, vote in November. So we have to focus on that. Next, when you realize the damage and know and see the damage that this administration has done to people all over the world, the first order of business is uh, Senator hope to be Vice President Harris and President Biden sitting down uh, in the Situation Room. Or in, and it's, it's so exciting to think that she'll be there in the Situation Room. She'll be there in the cabinet meetings, sitting down, trying to, to uh, restore the soul of America by unraveling some of the major damage that this administration has done. Uh, secondly, they're going to have to build uh, their legislative agenda and their executive uh, branch uh, with, with appointees uh, who reflect the diversity of this country and then move forward uh, on the uh, issues of, of COVID-19 uh, in terms of the pandemic, how we're going to deal with this in a forthright way, uh, how we're going to address racial and economic equity, and housing and all of the issues. So I think it's way too soon to even think about uh, the next election uh, because, you know, they have a heck of a job uh, to do come January. And I want to be right there helping them like I know everybody uh, in California will do. Barbara Lee, good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. That's Congress, uh, thank Congresswoman you. Barbara Lee. And I want to go back to you, Scott Schaefer. Uh, before I do, though, since she mentions the Trump administration, let's just talk about what happened yesterday in a press conference with President Trump. Uh, I mean, he was going through a laundry list. He was reading off the things that uh, he felt made uh, Kamala Harris's, described her as his first draft pick, uh, described her as a phony, described her as a liar, uh, kind of strange considering the source, to use that word, but uh, also uh, said she's for open borders, think about what she did to Kavanaugh, it was nasty, always that word with women politicians, nasty. Talked about taking guns away, ending cash bail. I mean, there was a whole laundry list, a litany really, of the kinds of things that 
well, play out in uh, different parts of the country pretty well. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, of course, the Republicans would have loved to have Bernie Sanders as their nominee. They had that uh, playbook ready to go. Uh, and then when, uh, you know, Joe Biden got the nomination, uh, they turned to VP and they were really hoping it would be Susan Rice. They were ready to go at her with Benghazi. They would have loved to have Elizabeth Warren or Karen Bass on the ticket. And, you know, Kamala Harris, you can certainly criticize her over a number of things, but she is not a target-rich environment as a candidate. I mean, she, uh, as I said, she's been a bit of a pragmatist. Uh, she's been criticized by both the left and the right in the way that sometimes Joe Biden has been. I mean, they really are, in that sense, both more centrists than leftists, even though, uh, you know, Harris obviously has deep roots in the Bay Area. She's, uh, you know, she embraced Medicare for all, and she kind of backed away from it. I think she tacked left because, it, you know, perhaps she thought that's what she needed to do to win the nomination. But, uh, you know, I think in her heart, she really is a bit more, uh, I wouldn't say centrist, because whenever you're talking, you could be a centrist by San Francisco standards, that's pretty, still left far to the left. She's kind of a pragmatist, really. Yeah, she, she is. She is. And I think also, you know, there's a reason we've never had a woman president or vice president in this country. There is a really thick glass ceiling. And there are different standards for women. I mean, I think uh, it was Hillary Clinton who said Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards while wearing heels. You know, you have to have gravitas, uh, but also be warm. You've got to be serious, but not too serious. You've got to smile, but not too much. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's interesting how women's groups have sort of uh, gotten out in front a little bit about the double standards that the media often use in judging women, not just in politics, but elsewhere, but particularly in this race, kind of putting them on notice a little bit. Uh, as we saw the uh, the vetting process for vice presidents uh, become, you know, uh, some would say sexist in ways that uh, many found disturbing. And I think uh, there will certainly be that aspect to this campaign. But I don't think, I think some lessons have been learned since 2016 in that regard. Well, certainly the president was trying yesterday in his briefing to identify her as a candidate for the left, talking about things like ending cash bail and also uh, being in favor of socialized medicine was the way he phrased it. Let me bring a caller on here. Dan joins us first. Dan, welcome. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, thank you. It seems to me that uh, the grumbling voices coming from California are irrelevant because California is going to vote for Biden. This election is about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, and looks like Biden's campaign has decided to try to re, uh, reignite the Obama coalition. And as far as that goes, it's not about getting the white working class vote. It's about getting the Obama coalition. Uh, my anecdotal evidence, I'm sorry, it's not evidence, is boy, is that working. Uh, a lot of the women I know, women of color, are pretty ecstatic about this choice. And so I'd like to hear your experts' opinions on that. Thank you. Okay, thank you for the question. Marisa. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is really um, proven in what I've seen from local San Francisco politicians, ones who didn't always support Kamala Harris, who sparred with her or with sort of, the, you know, were in a different faction when she was here. I've seen a lot of excitement um, among that kind of class, elected leaders, former elected leaders. Um, and I think that that does spread out. I think, you know, look, there there are certainly people, especially people who supported Bernie Sanders, who are not happy um, about this ticket. But I do think that that is few and far between. And, and I think, you know, to, to the earlier conversation we had, Michael, about did she 
bring that coalition along in the primary. You know, a general election is just such a different consideration. And I, and I do think that and anytime you have somebody breaking this many barriers and kind of one fell swoop, there is a real good chance that they're going to bring along a lot of people with them. And and I do think in California, there's a lot of pride for her, even for people who may have uh, disagreed with her on policy or other things over the years. Well, let's talk a bit about what she has actually come out and represented as being policies that she's in favor of or that she supports, because there are a number of things where she can certainly build coalitions with. She, I mean, she's been very pro-education, very in favor of prosecuting those involved in child pornography and sex trafficking, but also gun control. And also she's been allied in many ways with uh, the squad on climate change. I don't think she's going for the Green New Deal, but she certainly has come out in favor of some pretty serious action when it comes to climate change. Uh, in other words, there are lots of things going for more corporate taxes, uh, making lynching a crime, which she fought with Rand Paul about. These are all sorts of things that put her in good stead with, well, what we could call the Democratic coalition. Fair enough? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, but let's not forget, this election is about the president of the United States. You know, that's always the case when an incumbent is on the ballot. And I think that's particularly true this time around. I mean, we didn't have an incumbent in 2016. And I think a lot of people didn't think Donald Trump could beat Hillary Clinton. That obviously we have a different set of uh, uh, dynamics happening right now. And so I don't think Kamala Harris's record, I mean, we're talking about it now because the selection has just been made, but the vice presidential candidate, unless there's a problem like right at the beginning with some kind of a vetting issue, uh, I don't think that we're going to be debating Kamala Harris's record on bail or criminal justice reform probably come September, uh, October and into the election. I just think that this is going to be about uh, the president's record versus Joe Biden and what he's offering, along with Kamala Harris. I mean, if you look at that ticket, just the picture of it, it is an image of change. And that is what elections are about. Do you stay the course with the incumbent or with the incumbent's party, or do you change in some way? And that is what this is. Is it going to be a change election or a stay the course election? At this moment, the dynamic is very much toward change, but we have, you know, about 90 days to go, and that's an eternity in politics. It is indeed. And the big question that looms over this is, uh, can this ticket inspire people to go out and vote when there are many forces that are working against voting, particularly mail-in voting? And because of the pandemic, one has to factor that in as well. We're kind of in a wild, unpredictable country here to some degree, aren't we? We, uh, it feels like we've been in a wild, unpredictable country for several years now. Um, and it all, you know, this is, think back four years ago. I mean, this is really the moment that these campaigns start in earnest that people who are not like us, like me and Scott and you, Michael, who are paying attention to every twist and turn, really start digging in. Um, the, you know, the Democratic convention is next week. The Republican convention is the week after that. They clearly won't be the same as in years past, but, you know, we're still going to see speeches from a wide range of Democratic stars next week from, of course, the ticket itself to Michelle Obama, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, I think, you know, the Clintons, I think that there is a, a moment here that the Democrats are really trying to seize and keep this momentum going. Um, and prior to now, I think Joe Biden has kind of taken the strategy the last few weeks of just letting Trump kind of run the game because he has not been doing himself any favors. Let us leave it there. Thank you so much, Marisa. Scott, always good to have you both. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. And we're going to have some other people with us talking about this. And that includes you, by the way. If you'd like to join us, we do invite you to do so. If you have some thoughts about Kamala Harris being Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about Joe Biden's choice of California Senator Kamala Harris as vice president. If you have some thoughts about that choice or if you have some questions about that choice, we welcome your involvement in the program. You can join us toll free at our toll free number. It's 866-733-6786. Number again to call 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. We do indeed want to hear from you. And let's hear from Amy Allison, who is founder of She the People, an organization that elevates the political voice of women of color. And Amy, good to have you back with us at Forum. Welcome to the program. Amy Allison, do we have you? Uh, We seem to be having some technical problems here, but the idea is to have uh, Amy Allison with us, along with Aaron Haynes, this segment, editor-at-large of the 19th, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom that reports on gender, politics, and policy. And Brianna Joy Gray is also scheduled to be with us, contributing editor at Current Affairs Magazine and former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. So we got a number of others in the mix here, and uh, we certainly want to hear, as I said earlier, from you and what your thoughts are about Kamala Harris being selected as the vice presidential running mate for Joe Biden. Uh, I think we have a caller, and let's go to the caller. It's Wynn in Menlo Park. Morning, Wynn. So far from the times of McGovern and Eagleton, where they never did any vetting, and he found out that he was in a hospital for depression, I think we vetted every candidate, 13 of them, to the greatest degree possible. There's not going to be any surprises at this point, so why don't we just get on with what's happening in the future? All right. Well said. Thank you for that win. And I'm going to read some comments that are coming in. Also, uh, listener writes, please note the number of times your guests have mentioned that only Bernie supporters might not be happy with Harris. Sounds like they're already looking for scapegoats if they lose. And as I said, we'll be having, we hope, Brianna Joy Gray with us, who is secretary, uh, national press secretary for the Bernie Sanders campaign. We'll hear what she has to say about that. Here's Daniel who says, I would support Senator Harris because way back in 2008, she stood on the stage at Bill Graham Auditorium with then-Senator Barack Obama. Who else was on the stage? District Attorney Harris, Dusty Baker, and Alice Walker. No Gavin, no Willie, no Cecil Williams. And uh, from Erica, her parents are immigrants. That is an impressive fact. I would have preferred Abrams or Rice, but maybe that is my white point of view. I hope the DNC and Biden did not make the same mistake they did when Hillary was the candidate in 2016. Uh, I think we have Amy on the line here. Can we check with that? Amy, are you there? Amy Allison? Okay, not getting any output, uh, my engineer says. So it's certainly a perfect opportunity for those of you who are listening or have been listening or have some thoughts one way or another about the pick of Kamala Harris. She has roots here in the Bay Area. And in fact, uh, when she launched a campaign for president, some of you may recall, as I do vividly, um, that many, many people came out and there was uh, an extraordinary showing. And there is uh, and continues to be a great deal of support for her. There's also those who criticize her and continue to criticize her, particularly with respect to criminal justice questions. Uh, Jamie Court, for example, who's president of, uh, of Consumer uh, Watchdog, said, uh, was quoted, I think, earlier just today in the New York Times, as saying, uh, time and again, she's running interference for Silicon Valley. You get these kinds of criticisms, um, both from the left and the right, about Kamala Harris. Maybe Scott's right. Maybe when it comes down to the election itself, it won't matter that much. But 
at this point, uh, there are people evaluating uh, policies and, and where she stands. Um, there's been certainly a good deal of criticism from, uh, well, Amy Allison, for example, has been a longtime champion of Kamala Harris's and certainly a, a, a very passionate advocate of uh, having black women in politics. But there are those uh, black mothers, for example, who have come out and said she was too too tough uh, in terms of prosecutions, and they, a lot of them were unfair against young African-Americans. Uh, so she's been hit from both sides, and uh, I want to hear from you, our callers, and as I said, we'll try to get things working mechanically here, or technically here, so we can get our guests on as well. But let me, in the meantime, get Ralph from Oakland on. Ralph, join us. Um, I think Kamala Harris is, is exciting, and I'm sure she'll do a great job, but what the Democrats and the American people need is to keep the election honest. And Trump has already shown he's basically already a dictator. We just haven't admitted it yet. And we need to keep the election honest. We need to fix the post office. And we need to be able to use mail-in balance. He's shown he's not going to let this be a fair election. So I hope that's her, her campaign job. Yeah, I, I thank you for that, Ralph. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, sort of speculating about interferences in the election and what they may mean and trying to voter suppress and trying to essentially interfere with the post office through LaJoy, uh, Trump's postmaster general, who has gone to no small lengths to essentially curb what's coming into the post office in the way of revenue. Uh, he says they're cash poor, and they are. I mean, they're serious problems, but cutting back on uh, extra time pay, and it's had its effect. It's impeded the deliveries, uh, and that's what we're also contending with with this election. Uh, Ralph gets to that point. What uh, Kamala Harris can do as a fierce fighter about that, or what Joe Biden can do, certainly remains to be seen. Marisa, do we have you back with us here in this uh, time of trouble on our board? Marisa? I thought we had Marisa Lagos back with us on... Uh, on Access 4. Okay, we're, <laughs> this is, like I say, is an ideal time for you, our listeners, to weigh in here. Here's Andrew who writes, uh, isn't this also a tactical move? Uh, there are not a lot of Democratic senators who wouldn't be at risk of being replaced by a Republican to be the most effective. Joe needs to have a Senate that has as many Democratic senators as possible. Kamala was the safe choice for being a Democratic-run state. Interesting point, and I thank you for that, Andrew. Um, I think we do have Marisa on now. Marisa, are you there? Hey, Michael. Yeah, Hi. I'm here. Yeah, we're, we're having trouble getting our guests on this segment, but uh, I'm glad you have come to the fore here. Well, let's get back to the pick itself, because there, there's some uh, notion that Biden could have got more mileage, let's say, out of Elizabeth Warren, even though she didn't do that well in Massachusetts. Uh, she came in third, in fact, but a lot of the left uh, of the party liked Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and maybe even more out of uh, Gretchen Whiting in Michigan, because Michigan is such a key state. But was he looking, do you think, at a state like California, because California will remain a Senate Democratic uh, seat, as his colleague just pointed out? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure that was part of the consideration. I have to say from everything I've read and know about Biden, I think he probably was most concerned with someone that he felt like he could govern with. I think looking at his relationship with Obama, that was such a key part of that partnership and, and their closeness. Um, I heard Dr. Biden talking recently about how, you know, it really grew into, uh, they, they love each other. They're very close friends. And I think Biden wanted somebody he could work with. I, I mean, if you look historically, it's actually very rare that a vice president pick changes the dynamic of a particular state or or, or the race um, I think almost it's important nothing to really yeah yeah this is the first time we've seen a woman picked where the candidate wasn't flailing where it wasn't sort of a Hail Mary you know back with Geraldine Ferraro and then Sarah Palin um, those were definitely different considerations for those campaigns but you know I think with 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 Harris um, even though she comes from a safely blue state um, I, I, I do think the fact that she was a woman of color has a lot to do with this there was a lot of pressure on Biden uh, to think about that um, and I think you know someone like Elizabeth Warren I, that may have been a thought for them, right? If if the Senate is going to be as close as it looks, um, losing a Democratic senator in a state with a Republican governor where they get the chance to appoint them, that could that could definitely come into the mix. But I do think, I mean, Harris had been battle tested. She had been through this primary. Um, she did, you know, pretty well in the beginning. I think she got a lot of love. And I, and I think all of those things must have come into this decision. And I will also add, I mean, my comments about Bernie Sanders supporters had nothing to do <laughs> with what the caller was alleging. I just, that is the one corner that I have seen in the Democratic Party where there's still pushback. Um, as I said, I, I see a lot of other progressives who maybe were supporting Warren or other candidates um, seem more willing to be coalescing behind this ticket right now. Well, Marisa, thank you. Thank you for jumping in here on short notice, too. I appreciate that. And I'm going to read a tweet about Bernie, which is from a listener named Bryce, who says, as a Bernie supporter, neither Biden nor Harris were my top picks, but I'll gladly cast my vote for the ticket in November in order to stop the madness of this current administration. I think at long last we have Amy Ellis. Amy, are you there? I am. I'm glad to be here. Well, hallelujah. Yeah, we've had some problems <laughs> technically here. So, I'm, and, and you're probably saying hallelujah a bit yourself here with this pick of Biden's. Oh, it's been an amazing uh, moment. Uh, you got to think about this. In 2016, uh, when uh, in battleground states, uh, the Democratic Party did not have uh, a particular outreach uh, investment in black voters and voters of color, where women of color, although we were drivers in the margin of victory for Democrats, no, no one really spoke to us or elevated our leadership. To have Kamala Harris on the ticket is both strategic um, and it's right on time. It's confirmation that, you know, the establishment in 2016 could not imagine um, leadership looking like this. And we had to organize amongst women of color to make it so. I think for, for us now, uh, when we look at the next 80 or so days, what, uh, what Kamala Harris on the ticket allows us to do is to export one of our greatest strengths. I mean, here, I'm from Oakland. We're Bay Area people. California is a multiracial powerhouse. Kamala Harris knows how to unify a multiracial coalition. Uh, and uh, she's demonstrated it in, the, in our state, the most populous state. And she'll do it in uh, states that count uh, like uh, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Arizona. Those are must-win states for Democrats uh, going into the Electoral College votes and into November. So it's a historic moment. It's a thrilling moment, and also it aligns uh, strategically with what we have to get done um, uh, to turn out our voters. 
And Amy Allison, again, is the founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. We also have Brianna Joy Gray with us, contributing editor at Current Affairs magazine and former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. Welcome, Brianna. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you here and glad that we finally got technical things worked out here. Um, let me ask you, because uh, we've been getting a lot of response still about uh, Bernie Sanders. He has certainly uh, given his support to the Biden-Harris ticket. He gave the support to Biden before his pick of Kamala Harris. Uh, but there's still, you know, what I could describe as particularly apt, I think, as residual anger and fostering, uh, shall we say, ambivalent feelings about uh, the Biden candidacy. Are, are you all in here? You know, I think that some people might not remember, because unfortunately it wasn't as reported as I think it, it, was, it was merited, but Bernie Sanders won California by a significant margin, and in large part because uh, he was able to make inroads with Latino voters in a way that no other candidate has thus far demonstrated. So when you're talking about um, excitement about this, when you're talking about groups that are still disaffected, groups that historically... Um, don't turn out, don't necessarily vote um, for Democrats, that largely overlaps with the people who are excited about Bernie Sanders. And I think that what's going on here is that the audience for a Kamala Harris presidency and the audience or a candidacy and the audience for a um, Joe Biden candidacy were largely overlapping. Um, and what people, disaffected voters often point to, and what, frankly, black female voters often point to when you look at an important poll that was reported on by Essence last year, are the kinds of material substantive issues that Bernie Sanders advanced. And I, you know, issues like the number one issue is criminal justice reform, and one point behind that in the polling was healthcare. Bernie Sanders is the most trusted candidate on healthcare, right? So I think if you want to have people truly excited, if you want to get those voters who aren't already on board, weren't already on board with the Joe Biden agenda, what you need is some indication from this ticket that they are open um, to moving left to meet where, frankly, the rest of America is. And let me bring Eric, uh, excuse me, Aaron Hines uh, into this. Aaron Hines is, uh, is editor at large of the 19th. That's a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom at reports on gender, politics and policy. And Aaron Haynes, I'm glad to have you with us as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let, let's just talk about uh, the concern about voter turnout for a moment with you. Um, it looks good uh, from the perspective, certainly of black women. Amy Allison has been emphasizing that. What about younger progressives and what about younger black men, particularly, or voters of color? Uh, when it comes to criminal justice, there's been a good deal of pushback where Kamala Harris is concerned, and I wonder if that would play into the voter turnout as you see it. Well, it will be interesting to see if that is something that resurfaces uh, as she heads into the general. It was certainly an issue among uh, many of those voters during her uh, 2020 Democratic presidential primary uh, campaign. Uh, but but I, I think that uh, certainly, um, you know, Senator Harris may have learned uh, fr from that experience, uh, having that uh, conversation or or that kind of um, controversy, if you will, uh, being uh, out during the primary, taking lessons from that, and, and then possibly reframing uh, that message and her narrative uh, as she attempts to really introduce herself uh, to this general election uh, electorate. Uh, you know, she dropped out of the race in December uh, as issues of race and gender, frankly, were part of what factored into uh, her campaign not really gaining uh, the kind of traction and support that, that made her viable uh, you know, once the primary uh, voting actually started. So she was off the uh, out of the race before, um, you know, she voters really even had a chance to weigh in on her. 
Uh, and so there are some voters that, that um, you know, maybe still don't know uh, that much about her story, know very much about who she is. And she is someone who um, has really framed her uh, law enforcement career uh, as, as um, a progressive prosecutor before we had ever heard of, of anything called Black Lives Matter, uh, working uh, also as a, as a first term senator around issues of criminal justice reform, proposing, you know, that anti-lynching bill and, and even in this national reckoning on race, uh, being somebody who has been uh, outspoken on, on those issues and um, voicing support for uh, this, this protest movement that has been uh, really ongoing uh, for, for, for uh, a few months now. So uh, it, it, it is still an open question, though, I think, uh, about whether the narratives that, that uh, you know, came up during the primary will persist uh, over the next 80 or so uh, days headed into November. I've got some comments coming in and some callers coming in. Let me go to a comment, uh, an email from a listener named Rifka who says, for many reasons, I would have liked to see a different woman of color as vice president, but would love to see Harris as a Supreme Court justice. Amy Allison, let me go to you on this, because there were many who said uh, Kamala Harris should be either a Supreme Court justice or, for that matter, uh, attorney general. Uh, is this really the best uh, notion when we could have had other women of color, for example. In fact, I've got some listeners who are saying, like this listener, why not Susan Rice? Mm. Well, uh, a couple of things. One is that we establish ourselves as women of color as the fastest growing, most critical voting block who are ready to govern. And that's not one spot here or one seat here. Um, we did a series of listening sessions over the last six weeks with women of color, uh, black, Latina, Asian American, and indigenous from battleground states uh, like uh, uh, Texas and uh, Pennsylvania. And what we heard was loud and clear. Uh, yes, uh, over 70% of them um, insisted that a woman of color uh, as a VP is key to um, higher vote turnout. But we also heard uh, a woman of color chief of staff on the Supreme Court key secretary positions, we are um, underrepresented in every level of government. Uh, we also heard uh, that, uh, you know, there needs to be much more of a focus uh, down ballot um, on some of the women of color, the historic number that are running not only for Senate, but for, for Congress. So the, the short answer is uh, we, we want uh, to be uh, in the room and we want to be part of the governance. Uh, in addition, the transition team that determines, you know, what the Biden-Harris uh, ticket priorities are in the first hundred days, we want to help shape that. And the fact of the matter is, uh, and you know, to, with res with respect to the other folks on here, we're we're a very progressive group who advocates racial and uh, economic justice. So uh, we want to keep pushing for that and be in every place that we can be, uh, and that's something we're going to keep calling for. And let me uh, call for a couple of comments here from emails of listeners. Alan writes. Given the likes of Clarence Thomas, not to mention the many examples of black misleadership at home and abroad, I'm more interested in the candidates' policies and the content of their character than their race. Thank you for that, Alan. And here's Charlie who writes, I worry we trivialize the seismic shift going on by describing her as the first black woman on a major presidential ticket. Isn't it also relevant that she's only the second person of color on such a ticket and only the sixth person on a ticket in 250 years who is not a white man? Change is good. And thanks, Charlie, for that comment. And let's get to our listeners by phone. And let's go uh, first to Marshall. Marshall, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my comment was largely in regard to this um, paradigm that's been set up between kind of establishment Democrats and 
Bernie supporters. Um, I, I would consider myself a, a big tent Democrat, and I'm thrilled with um, the squad and what they've been able to do and, and, and taking the party to the left, um, you know, at the, at the congressional level and the energy they've brought to the party. But in particular, in this election, I think the selection of Biden and Harris makes a really big tent, and particularly with Harris at the right moment in time. Um, and so I would hope I don't hear as much talk about, you know, sabotaging the election or staying home. Um, because I think the Democratic Party has done a really good job of embracing these Bernie supporters at the grassroots level and at the congressional level. I think this election, I would hope um, they would come around and support the, quote, establishment party as we all work to kind of get this country back on track. Thanks very much. Thank you for that, Marshall. And I'm going to go right back to Brianna Joy Gray on that, who was uh, former national press secretary for the Bernie Sanders campaign. I hate to use the big tent uh, analogy that was used by Lee Atwater about the Republicans. We, we have a big tent here for the Democratic Party. I think, and I alluded to this before, that the Kamala Harris tent and the Joe Biden tent are large, largely coterminous, right? Like they, I don't think that Kamala Harris's addition for her legitimate merits changes anybody's mind who wasn't already planning to vote for Joe Biden. And, you know, I think what's frustrating to some um, who consider themselves progressives or leftists is that while there's a lot of enthusiasm across the political spectrum for these new candidates like AOC or Congress members like AOC and the rest of the squad, um, some of that enthusiasm seems to be centered more on their obvious charisma um, and freshness that they bring to their party rather than their policy prescriptions. And leftists support them primarily because they understand the exigent need for Medicare for all and the speed of other social programs, especially in the midst of a pandemic like this. So I think if you wanted to really expand the tent and bring more people into the party, you would do things like not you know, the, the, the DNC has declined to grant the Young Turks, the leading leftist news outlet, access to the DNC, a, a press pass to the DNC. It would do things like have more than two people speaking who are under the age of 50. And one of those people is Pete Buttigieg, who most people on the left don't consider to be a leftist, right? So I think that we should think much more concretely about what actually expands the tent and who is currently being, um, who feels left out at least. And a question, uh, I'm going to go to you on this, Aaron Haynes. Uh, this is from a listener named Teresa who says, uh, can you speculate on why Biden didn't choose Susan Rice? Wouldn't she have been better for the moment, given how the U.S. will need to work with the international community toward a coronavirus vaccine? Uh, I, I cannot speculate on, on, on why he did not uh, choose Susan, Susan Rice, only uh, maybe perhaps some of the reasons that he did uh, choose Senator Harris. I mean, this is um, somebody who... Uh, had a close relationship with Bo Biden, uh, Joe Biden's son, uh, which which brought her closer to that entire family. And, and I think that was kind of uh, the starting point. But certainly uh, they were uh, campaign rivals, had that debate exchange um, that, um, you know, ha had some lingering sore feelings, I guess, for some people on Team Biden, but was obviously not a deal breaker for him. And, and a lot of the observers that I talked to say that 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 uh, was was a moment that that kind of made uh, helped to make him stronger uh, on race and more responsive uh, around issues of race uh, as the campaign went on. Uh, but she's somebody who you know was already battle tested as as a presidential candidate. Uh, you know brings a, a, just a qualification, a combination of her qualifications and lived experiences uh, to this role uh, in a way 
that uh, was really kind of uh, a head and shoulders above, I guess, the other qualified, talented, and capable women who were in this conversation. I mean, certainly there, uh, you know, the the public uh, kind of uh, cons around uh, Susan Rice, for example. I, I mean, the fact that she is is someone who uh, had executive experience but had never run for elected office, uh, you know, in a campaign that is going to be so consequential and, you know, with a pandemic really limiting uh, folks' ability to campaign and really, uh, you know, the need to be creative uh, to reach and connect with voters uh, could have been a factor, uh, to be sure. And Aaron Haynes, again, is editor-at-large of the 19th. They're a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom reporting on gender politics and policy. I'm going to read a comment here from Heather, who writes, I am thrilled Kamala Harris is on the ticket. Kamala Harris represents a return to decency, thoughtfulness, and civility. The fact that the sexism and racism has already been ramped up by Fox News just illustrates how desperately we need to return to working toward the common good for everyone. And here, on the other hand, is a comment from Richard, and I'm going to go to you on this, Amy Allison. Richard writes, Biden needed to pick someone who is not polarizing, and Kamala is polarizing. I fear he may have just handed the election to Trump. This is the wrong time to take this chance to right the wrongs of the past. Amy Ellison. Well, it was always the wrong time to have a woman of color at the top of the ticket. I mean, this is historic. And um, a multiracial democracy has women of color at, 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 at the top of the ticket. So uh, uh, women of color aren't waiting uh, for permission or our turn. Um, and in fact, it would have been highly, highly risky for Biden to choose a white running mate um, we don't want a repeat of 2016. We want someone who can maximize uh, the, the vote of black and brown communities. Um, and to the first uh, point uh, that you read, while we're having this conversation, Fox and the right wing are ramp ramping up attacks against Kamala Harris's identity, but it's her very identity as a black woman, as an Asian American woman uh, from multiracial powerhouse California that prepares her to navigate complex racial politics, to, to play a leading role in uh, helping to both unify the, the voting coalition, communicate with different communities, and meet the moment um, and the demand for racial justice that we've seen in the streets. I mean, the call for Black Lives Matter and racial justice needs to be translated into policy. And she has showed up in very important ways in the last few months uh, that way. So I think it is uh, it's good for us to think about the way that Bernie Sanders and Julian Castro and Elizabeth Warren, all the folks who were active in the primary and have their, uh, their fans um, in California, think about uh, what it's going to take for us to unify and, 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 and move forward um, um, to victory. Well, we've got very little time left here, but I'm going back to you, Aaron Haynes. I'm interested in finding out from you, if I could, uh, about what you're hearing, particularly from women of color who see themselves in Kamala Harris. There's been a lot of talk about we have arrived and this is our moment and so forth. A lot of exhilaration, really, and even ecstasy, rapture. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I was uh, on a uh, I was in conversation with with black women, organizers, donors, uh, voters, over the weekend who were really, uh, you know, very anxious about whether or not um, Vice President Biden was going to choose a black woman specifically uh, as his running mate, uh, you know, while there was not necessarily consensus around which one of the black women, uh, you know, who were in conversation and contention for that role, uh, they, uh, you know, said that, that they wanted it to be a black woman, not as a recommendation, but really as a requirement. 
So it sounds like we're getting a little interference again here, but we've come to the end of the hour at any rate. And Aaron, uh, as a journalist, valuable to hear what kind of reactions you're getting. Thank you for joining us, Aaron Haynes. Thank you, Brianna Joy Gray. And thank you, Amy Allison. And thank you, our listeners. We're here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11, and appreciate your listenership. And you can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. And for all of us, again, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.